Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. My dad died a little over three years ago. I don't really miss him because to me he's still here. We had a good relationship that became extremely intimate over the last couple years of his life and particularly over the last six months of his life. He was dying and I was the only one around. So we went through it together. And it was a demanding time physically and emotionally, but I would not trade that experience for anything. We had just moved to St. Louis, oh, no, eight years ago, I think we came, and so my folks were living here, and it was a wonderful blessing for me to be here during that time. There are times when my memories of him are particularly poignant. Today is one of those. My dad was a pastor, so I sat through countless of his sermons and listened to some. He came up with this one really great line. I'm sure there were more, but there's one really great line. It was the Sunday after Christmas. And he said, and he may have borrowed it from somebody else as preachers sometimes do, but I prefer to think it was an original thought. He said, there is nothing so over as Christmas. Brilliant. All the waiting, all the anticipation, all the preparation, all the anxiety, all the swirl, all the business, all the excitement, all the gatherings of family and friends, all the services. Done. Should have seen the recycle bin in our alley after Christmas. And I've seen trees along the curb already. Nothing so over as Christmas. I go for a walk every morning, a long walk, three to five miles, depending upon the day and the route that I take. Tuesday, Christmas Day, I was walking down Chippewa Street, and I passed an inflatable Santa who had a digital readout in his belly. He was counting down days till Christmas, and it was Tuesday, hence Christmas, and so the readout was zero, zero. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, I think that's the way a lot of people feel about right now. (laughs) Kind of zeroed out. Nothing. Sunday, this morning, I always walk through what for 11 months of the year is called Murdoch Street. And for one month, it's Candy Cane Lane, the Christmas equivalent of Leona Street, Leona Street on Halloween. And for a few weeks before Christmas, the cars kind of snake through to take in the spectacle, and it's always very spectacular. And today I walked through there, and there was still a lot of the stuff up. 
But they had done this incredible sand carving of Santa's face. It stood about yay big. They had it covered with a canopy to protect it. Well, the canopy is gone, and Santa's face has begun to age. <laughs> and not gracefully. <laughs> Imagine sand drooping. The sands of time are like slow moving. Thursday, I came here, and two of the three wise men in our display out front were lying flat on their packs. I'm sure it was just the wind, but you know what? I wanted to take a picture of it and put it up on the screens that someday I'm going to use here. Because to me, it was like a perfect illustration of what Christmas can do. It knocks us flat. And then we're lying there, and we're done. Nothing so over as Christmas. And you know what? There are people who say, TGIO. Thank God it's over. Back to the basics now. We've made our Christmas. Now let's just kind of go back to it. Today's gospel gives us two characters who, you know, they have, these are like a lot of biblical characters. They show up for one little thing and then they're gone, never to be heard from again. One of them is Simeon. We know the nunc dimittis, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. We all grew up singing that, a lot of us did. The other one that we want to focus on today is this woman named Anna. She's only there for three verses, but we know some stuff about Anna. Here's the first thing. She was a prophetess, a female prophet. It's the only time in the New Testament that that particular honorific title is used. It's used four or five other times in the Old Testament. This is the only time it's used in the New Testament. We don't know what it means. Whether she foretold future events or proclaimed and applied the word of God, which is probably more likely. She was the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. We know nothing about Phanuel. We do know stuff about Asher. This is kind of interesting. The tribe of Asher. You remember Israelite history? There were 12 tribes. They split. Ten tribes were up in the north. They formed their own kingdom. They called it Israel. Two tribes remained in the south, Judah and Benjamin. They called that kingdom Judah. Now, the tribes in the north, the kingdom of Israel, they disavowed the Davidic covenant. They were not looking for a, 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 they did not need somebody on the throne who was of the line of David. They stuck their own king on the throne. So here is this prophetess who's from a tribe that is not expecting the Messiah to be the son of David. And she was a widow, and she was old. And the Greek is really murky. The way it reads today, it sounds like she was 84 years old. But here's the way the Greek reads. That she was married seven years and then a widow for 84. So if she got married at 14, which is the norm, and was married seven, that puts her at 21. And then if she's a widow 84 years after that, old. And her lifestyle was just a tad bit mm, mm, eccentric. I love that word. It means out of center. Tad bit eccentric. She never left the temple. Never. Now, you know, I see some of you here a lot. Anna took it to a whole new level. She did not leave. 
there were apartments in the temple and apparently she had one of those apartments maybe because she was a prophetess. And she wasn't just chilling while she was there. She was worshiping and fasting and praying day and night, 24-7. So it's not a surprise that Anna was there when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus because Anna was never not there. And while the text is silent about how she knew who this kid was, child, she spoke of him to all who were looking for the redemption of Israel. And then she's gone. But not before saying, TGIO. Thank God it's over. Thank God he kept his word. Thank God he fulfilled his promise. Thank God redemption is here. A couple other little factoids that are brought out in today's gospel that we just kind of want to fly over. Here's the first. All the requirements of the law were fulfilled. So here's Jesus, huh? son of God, savior of the world. And he's going through all the required religious rituals like every other child born in Israel. And 40 days after his birth, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple for purification. Two things going on there. Just like every parent took every child. And the two things that were going on was the birth mother had to be declared ceremonially clean and since this was a firstborn sacrifice had to be made to God and the sacrifice was a lamb and a dove unless the family was poor then it was two doves or two pigeons which is what Mary and Joseph brought which tells us something else they were poor so here is Jesus in the temple with all these other people meeting the religious requirements, just this poor family over here in the side of the temple. And all these people in the temple are going through all of their rituals, making sacrifice to God, all the while the Son of God is in proximity and no one spied him except Simeon and Anna, both of whom said, TGIO. Thank God it's over. Thank God he's kept his word. Thank God he's fulfilled his promise. Thank God redemption is here. This is the beginning, folks, of your and my part in the whole story. We're now in what I would call the post-Christmas narrative. We have the Christmas story, then there's the post-Christmas narrative. You and I are part of that, and can I tell you something? Not much has changed. There are still some who recognize Jesus as the Son of God and still some who do not. But a shift has now taken place. Up until this point, God had direct contact with those who were involved in the birth of his son, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, shepherds. Now there is no more direct contact. Now God is going about his God business, and some get it, and some don't. Simeon did, Anna did, but there were countless others in the temple who were going through their rituals oblivious. Next week we start the Epiphany season, which should be a favorite for us. You know what the whole point of Epiphany is? You know, on the front of your worship folder down in the lower right-hand corner, there's the logo of Epiphany, and then it looks like a tagline underneath it. And I don't know who came up with the tagline. Got it? 
What does it say? Revealing Christ through the Word. Do you know that that is exactly the theme of Epiphany? Imagine that. Revealing Christ through the Word. So the whole focus of the Epiphany season is God revealing Himself at work in the world in Jesus, His Son. And there are nine Sundays in Epiphany this year. And it begins with the festival of Epiphany, the wise men who are brought by a star. But God didn't, you know, He just gave them a star to follow. Didn't really tell them where. They had to stop and ask for directions along the way. Then the second Sunday in Epiphany is the baptism of Jesus where the Spirit of God alights on his shoulder and the voice comes down and some hear and some don't. Third Sunday is the wedding at Cana where Jesus turns water into wine, which is a sign of the presence of God. Then comes Jesus' entrance into the synagogue in Nazareth when he took the scrolls and read from the prophet Isaiah and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and they kicked him out. Then he enters the synagogue in Capernaum and exercises a demon and the demon says, oh, holy one of Israel, we know who you are. Then the miraculous catch of fish which has direct messianic fulfillment proclamations. Then come two Sundays with stuff from what we call the Sermon on the Plain, which is not something that flies. It's the equivalent of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, but in Luke it happens kind of down low, and so it's called the Sermon on the Plain. And for two Sundays, Jesus says things like, you have heard it said, but I say, you hear it? The authority? And then that incredible climax to the Epiphany season, Transfiguration Sunday where the identity of Jesus is fully revealed to Peter, James, and John as his divinity comes bursting through the seams of his humanity. In every case, Jesus is revealed as the Son of God, and some get it, and some don't. Some say, T-G-I-O. Thank God he kept his word. Some don't. Now, there's nothing so over as Christmas. During the Christmas season, in our spiritual sense, boy, the message is clean and pure, you know, and we tell the story and we get caught up in the wonder and we're feeling the peace. And everything kind of makes sense and we believe and everything is calm and bright. I, I don't know how anybody could have been here on Christmas Eve at the candlelight service at the end of the service when the, sanction, the chancel was so incredibly gorgeous and not find themselves saying, yes, God is here. Hmm. But now it's back to business. And we're already knee-deep in stuff. A little flat, faced with the realities of our existence. There's bills to pay and people to deal with and pounds to lose and obligations to fulfill and all the stuff of our living, the coming and the going and the buying and the selling and the meeting ourselves hither and yon. And all the while, God is going about his God business. The kingdom of God still inching forward, but it takes eyes of faith to see him in the hidden and the ordinary. Because we have no announcements going on. There's no angels singing over our heads right now. We don't even have a star guiding us. We have the word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, and it shines a light on what Jesus is doing. But it takes the eyes of faith to recognize it. Even the sacrament. See, everybody can see the bread and the wine, the ordinary. Takes the eyes of faith to see the body and the blood hidden in with and under 
the bread and the wine. It takes faith in this post-Christmas narrative on this side of Christmas to trust the movement of God in our lives, to recognize that the work of redemption in our lives is complete and we're now working it out as we deal with life and with each other. It takes eyes of faith to understand that everything is moving in its God-ordained direction. There is no happenstance. It takes the eyes of faith to see what God is up to in our lives. It takes the eyes of faith in the midst of the fact that there's nothing so over as Christmas, thanks, Dad. It takes the eyes of faith in the midst of that to say, T-G-I-O, thank God it's over. Thank God he has come. Thank God he fulfilled his promise. Thank God he kept his word. Thank God he's faithful. Thank God he feeds us. Thank God he's here. Thank God. And so be it. Amen.